This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Mother Nature might not have cooperated all that well, but the action was intense at Michigan. And in the end, a risky pit strategy gamble paying off as Clint Boyer emerged with his second win of the year as Stuart Haas continued their domination of the season. Already, we are now joined in the media center by our race-winning driver Clint Boyer. Can you believe it? Say no. that again. The One more race time. Race-winning driver Clint ah. Boyer. Damn it! <laughs> Those guys right there is—they're a lot of fun. This whole team—you said it. God, that sucked. I—I'm going to be a sticky sob right now. I'm going. <laughs> we uh, we're gonna drink a little bit tonight, by the way. Yes, yes, that's gonna happen. I know you guys are questioning it. It's going to happen tonight. We had no doubt about that. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Karen Lamano alongside Parker Kligerman, and we are joined by our Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett from Burton's Garage in North Carolina. I think everybody knew that a party was on the way. DJ, I feel like if you have a case of the Mondays, all you need to fix it is Clint Boyer. <laughs> There's no doubt that that certainly makes things better uh, on Monday after a win by Clint Boyer. And what a great job he did. We'll get into all of that. Uh, I will say, though, I am highly disappointed. I thought we had more gamblers sitting on those pit boxes there that are crew chiefs. Um, I'm telling you, Ray Everham and Tim Brewer, they, they probably live it today because they were better gamblers than that uh, in trying to get an opportunity to steal a race. Gambling's going to be the theme of the day. We are going to hit on that because that was a big story. Hey, I agree with you, man. It, I, where were they? I don't get it. Where was anyone rolling the dice on this? Knowing the rain was impending, knowing you had a chance to maybe steal a win. Why? You left it up there to Clint Boyer and Mike Bukarevich to go out there and steal a win. But, I mean, I'm just excited because I think that party's probably still going right now. Yes. So if he's watching right now, he, he would know he's watching, but he might the, be. The good news is that Clint Boyer has surfaced on social media, so we know he's alive. <laughs> oh, okay, that's yeah, good. we'll bring you that as well coming up. But let's go back to Sunday afternoon at Michigan so we can get into exactly what DJ's talking about here. But we'll start on lap 25, Parker, with Austin Dillon and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. getting into it. Explain this. Well, I'm not quite sure how to explain it because all we saw was Austin Dillon kind of slide up in front of the 17, break his momentum a little bit, and I don't think Ricky was very happy about that. And then they proceeded to play a little bit of bumper cars down the backstretch and, you know, show his displeasure. Kyle Larson was the big story coming in, DJ, looking for that record-tying fourth straight win at Michigan, but he lost it off turn four in lap 86. Yeah, the fastest Chevrolet all year has been uh, Kyle Larson at one of his favorite racetracks, one for four in a row. But it looked like maybe this set of tires was a little looser. That all started getting into the corner. He got loose and just chased it up the racetrack. 
kind of ended uh, any hope for his day. Yeah, so he finished in 28th, but Kevin Harvick's impressive season continuing, beating Paul Menard on the restart here and went on to win stage two. And what's impressive about this restart is because the bottom lane was not the preferred groove, but he's able to carry that speed past Paul Menard and take the lead and go on to win the stage and do what he's done for many of this season, and that's just win something. That was, <laughs> that was his eighth stage win of the year, if you can believe it. A lot of people can. So that made the race official. But with the rain on the way, DJ, this was everything right here. Clint Boyer's crew chief, Mike Bugarevich, making this call. You know, I guess things are a little bit easier when you already have a win in the bag, but I really like this. I mean, we knew rain was coming at some point in time, and it's really easier to put two tires on a good handling car, and they did that. So the call was to take two tires instead of four, Parker, and on the final restart, Boyer and Harvick taking really a full lap to decide who the leader would be. Yeah, and we'll get more into this later in the show and kind of dissect a little bit, but what Clint did so well is hold off this four car as he does through one and two, and then down into three and four, he'll really squeeze the four and get him a little bit loose, and that's what got him the lead. And then from there, as he gets off four here, you see he's going to take the lead, carry that positive down the straightaway, and then from there, it was really about just trying to hold off that four and kind of fingers crossed on the pit box right there that the rain would come. Three laps later after this, Boyer and Harvick continuing to battle. Ricky Stenhouse, DJ, getting tapped from behind by Casey Kane and causes the caution. Yeah, this racing really got intense that everybody knew that the rain was coming and they were trying to get all that they could. Ricky kind of moved down right here on Casey Kane and, and just a little bit of contact and, and it's unfortunate. Uh, Stenhouse didn't have a great day, but this made it worse for sure. And that's just another wreck for the 17 team. Very unfortunate because they showed a bit of speed at, at the times, but it was not to be, and then the rain came, Carolyn. Here comes the rain, pulls the car off the track, and what do you know, Clint Boyer declared the winner after 133 laps. And look at this nice hug. Oh, isn't that nice between two guys that just fought it out for victory and their teammates hugging, and then he has the coolest thing I've ever seen in a burnout, DJ. I don't know about this, but right here, he's burning <laughs> out and giving a thumbs up to the crowd at the same time. That's awesome. Have you seen anything like that, DJ? No, I don't think so, but there's one thing about Clint Boyer. He knows where every camera and every microphone is located. <laughs> well, earlier this year, you might recall, he snapped a 190-race win the streak at Martinsville, and it only took nine races for Clint Boyer to return to victory lane. He led a 1-2-3 finish for Stuart Haas Racing and a group of 7-4 drivers in the top 10. Kyle Busch finishing fourth to lead the Toyotas. Chase Elliott, the top Chevy driver, in ninth place. Crew chief Mike Bugarevich had the nerve, and Clint Boyer had the car. Mother Nature brought a little bit of rain. You add it all up. Boyer now fourth in the Monster Energy Series playoff standings with two wins and 10 playoff points. In victory lane, the pair discussed how they managed to pull this thing off. You never have wins like this. You know, I never have in my career. Those, those gifts, you know, uh, a gutsy call, uh, put us in position. Mike, unbelievable. I'm so proud of him for making that call. That's uncharacteristic for him. Um, to be able to, to make that call was a gutsy, gutsy call for our our race team, and he made it, and he won that race for us. We'll get that out of the way first and foremost. All the credit goes to him. I'm not going to lie. You come out, you know, on two tires, you look in the mirror, and you're a mile ahead of everybody. That means everybody else took four tires. That means you're in big, big trouble, especially that wasn't the first time on two tires. That was the second attempt. So he just saw something that everybody else didn't see, took a chance, and, and uh, I'm proud of him for making that chance. That's the one that put us in victory lane. Kevin left me some room, um, almost cleared me off at two, and if he would have, he'd have rode off into the sunset and won another race for the four car. But um, uh, left me some room and enabled me to get to the outside, cleared him off a of four, and I'm thinking, it better rain quick, um, you know, because yeah, everybody could see the run he was getting through one and two was just bearing down on me big time, getting into three. 
I tried to choke him off and take his line a little bit and just try to take as much air as he could off of him. But that wasn't going to hold off one more lap. Had it had been one more lap, literally one more lap would have cost us a win, maybe even a top five. Because once he gets side by side, then the next guy, then the next guy, then you're in trouble. We've all seen that story. Just unbelievable to finally get back in victory lane, to be running like this and, and um, to be celebrating like this is unbelievable. TJ, before we go to the gamble, the pit call, why nobody else did it, I just want to focus in on the second half of that interview with Clint Boyer. The elation that he feels being back where he feels like he belongs, a driver of this caliber and really good equipment, this just must mean the world to Clint Boyer to, to be here again. You know, it doesn't, we don't have to go back very far to think about where Clint Boyer was just a few short years ago that, you know, not only was he not winning races, he wasn't even in a car to compete at a high level. And there's nothing worse, especially as a driver who has won and shown what he could do uh, over the years and then get in that position. So you can see how appreciative he is of these opportunities and of his crew chief putting him there. And as you said, we'll talk about that part of it. But Clint Boyer was very diplomatic there. And it's easy to be that. And he is most of the time. But after you've won. But I'm going to tell you what. Clint Boyer deserves a lot of the credit there too. Yeah, his crew chief got him out. He was in control of that restart. But he had to drive the wheels off of that thing to try to beat Kevin Harvick, which very few people have done this year, but he did an outstanding job. You know, the one thing that he could have done, he could have created a situation by side drafting a little too much that might have got Harvick loose and taken both of them out. He didn't do that, so it ended up a great day for Stuart Haas Racing and especially for Clint Boyer. Agreed, and I think he was being a little too nice there and saying it was all Bug is doing to get that win because of what you just talked about on that restart, what he did so well on two tires. But you know what this reminds me of a little bit, his elation about being in this pot, this top ride again and being back in victory lane. You know, I can think back just a few short years ago when Martin Truex Jr. was struggling massively and then goes on to become a champion at the top of our sport. So I think you just see this out of some drivers. They get put in situations where we know they're not getting the best out or the, the equipment is not allowing them to show their talent so well and it can get down, and they kind of get forgotten a little bit. I can remember Clint talking about not getting any interviews a couple years ago because he wasn't running too well, and now to find yourself back at the top of the game, winning races, beating a guy like Kevin Harvick straight up like he did right there, I just think that's a great place to be, and as a race car driver, especially who's been in the sport for so long and been at the top level for so long, it's a huge um, validation of what you've done, all the work you've put into it, all the things you've done to get to that level to finally be successful again after having a bit of a lull. Yeah, I can imagine it'd be easy to lose your confidence, even exactly. a driver of his caliber. All right, now let's get to what everybody is talking about, which is the decision to take two tires instead of four. And let's cap this off or start it off with Mike Bugarevich. More explanation from him on the call. Take a listen to what he had to say. So when we were coming on pit road, I was 100% sure two tires was the right call. And we got about three quarters of the way down pit road, and I was just about 70% sure. And then we slid in our pit box, and I was about 50% sure. And by then we were leaving, and it was too late. So our bed was made, and uh, Clint asked, are we the only one on two? Uh, yeah. We're the only person. I am a mile ahead of everybody when I looked in the mirror. Everybody behind me was on four tires. Now you're like... Uh, I don't know what you're looking at, but <laughs> there's an army of people on pit road that saw the same forecast, the same radar, and they they took four. Um, but nonetheless, it was a gamble on his part, and, and like I said, it was uncharacteristic for him. That's part of, of growing and, and uh, blossoming as a crew chief and, and uh, being one of the elite. Uh, for him to be able to do that and put ourselves in victory lane uh, was really, really cool to see. Hey, so did I make the right call? Lucky ass. 
<laughs> Interesting to hear Clint Boyer say that that was an uncharacteristic call and part of Mike's maturity, but they saw the weather coming. It doesn't seem like anybody else did. What happened? Why did nobody else take two tires? So I reached out to a couple engineers uh, on cup teams throughout the field and said, all right, you know, what was the deal? What were you guys seeing? And a lot of them told me that they didn't see the rain coming that actually came there at the end. And they saw rain that was coming and then it would dissipate right before it got to the track. And many were thinking that this race was going to run out in its entirety, the way the rain was looking. So uh, I think a lot of the field just thought, nope, the rain's not coming. The, the, the radar's showing it's not. And for whatever reason, Booga saw something or just felt something and decided to take this gamble for two tires. But it really caught the rest of the field off guard. And, and I know people are disappointed. Where were the other gamblers? And, you know, the thing that Clint's talking about there for being uncharacteristic for him making this decision is we've seen a massive change in the sport where we've gone from these old-time racers who become crew chiefs to a lot of engineers who want data and statistics and things like that to show them the way and show them the path. And so I think you had a lot of engineering-based decision-making happening that just thought, you know, this rain is not showing up. It's not coming. We're not going to take two tires or, or not tires at all. And therefore, you had one crew chief that thought, you know what, I just have a feeling, and he was able to get it done. And that's why, you know, Clint said a little earlier, you don't always win these ones. These ones are cool when you luck into one a little bit because it, it never goes that way. Whenever you take that chance or that or try to luck into one, it just never seems to go your way. So when it does, it's an incredible feeling. DJ, weren't there, though, a number of drivers at that point that had absolutely nothing to lose by just trying it, just seeing if that rain was going to come in? Were you as surprised as everybody else that nobody made this decision? Yeah, Caroline, I was, I, I was shocked sitting there watching the race. I just knew that there were going to be a group that were going to put Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch and a couple of others back behind them, and this was going to be an exciting restart. I didn't know how long we had, obviously not being there, but if you've been at Michigan, I realize I'm old and, and I was there for a lot of years, but you know that whenever you get situations like this weather-wise, that more times than not, that rain hits that racetrack for some reason. And so I was really shocked because you weren't going to outrun the four car if everybody does the same thing. You weren't going to do that. You might as well take a gamble. And I realized, as I said a, a couple of minutes ago, it's much easier to take that gamble when you have a win under your belt. But if you're one of those teams and drivers that have a pretty decent car on this particular day and you haven't had that all year, this is your shot to try to get yourself into the playoffs. I just don't know why you didn't take that chance. You probably weren't going to make the car so bad that you were going to lose a lap by the time uh, it rolled around if the race went on and went green for a while if your car was good enough to be up inside there. So I, I really was surprised uh, yeah, and I understand that the game has changed. The engineers there, just as Parker said, you know, they want the stats in front of them. They want the, the numbers there to justify what they're doing uh, before they make a gamble like that. But old school racing tells you that sometimes you've got to go out on the limb and make that call. Uh, you know, they get bad at their driver sometimes when he doesn't stick it in a hole that, that it looks like he should have when they're watching it on TV. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot of conversations about that in race shops today. No doubt. Well said. And I agree with all that. And I think, you know, the thing is that you you heard about some teams who said, you know, even if we were to get to the front, we didn't have the speed to stay up there. You know, we've seen a large discrepancy in speed grow throughout this 
uh, last year between some of the cars running about 20th of the cars are running up in the front. So they felt like if they were to take that gamble, if it didn't go their way, it was going to put them in an even worse position come the end of the cycle or however it would go through. So I, I understand that. But, DJ, I got one thing, a bone to pick with you for a second. You said that more times than not, the rain comes to Michigan. I can think of a race in 2013 I was in. I was leading. There was a cloud as dark as I've ever seen, and it never came and rained, and we ended up having to pit <laughs> under green at the end of the race. You know, I they, didn't say it was 100%, Parker. Yeah, I'm, I'm I said just saying. it was more times than not. Sorry, about, sorry for your luck there. I you know did, what yeah. they say about drivers. They never forget a nope. single thing, especially the agony <laughs> of defeat. All right, we've got more to talk about other than this particular aspect of the race. We're going to dig much deeper. Uh, we'll show you what we have coming up on tap. Uh, restart between Clint Boyer and Kevin Harvick. We touched on it a second ago, but we're really going to break down how Boyer ended up getting the job done here. His win, just one part of a big milestone for Stuart Haas Racing. How did the team react to their first 1-2-3 finish ever? And we're also going to have highlights from Saturday's Xfinity Series race, where tight pack racing led to flaring tempers. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard return to star in the next chapter of one of the most exciting movies in history. Do not miss the movie event of the summer. You can see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in theaters June 22nd. I'm actually pretty excited about this. I'm very excited. Chris Pratt is one of my favorite actors in all of Hollywood. Oh, Man Crush Monday. Even I know. better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Stewart House Racing sweep of the top three spots at Michigan, marking the 18th time in Cup Series history that a single organization had cars finish 1-2-3 in a race. The last time it happened was back in 2008 when both Roush Fenway and and RCR was able to pull that off. Let's hear from the other two-thirds of Sunday Stuart Haas sweep, Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick. Obviously, you had great control of the race all the way through, and I heard Clint Boyer say one more lap, you probably would have caught him. I mean, that's just racing luck. Yeah, and look, I've been on I've been on both sides of this, so and you know if you're going to have racing luck work against you, you want it to at least stay on your own team. Um, so you know that was it worked the other way at, at Dover. He you know he was kind of in the same position, and we went back green, and today it, it worked out for him. To see the two cars in front of me at the end, the four and the fourteen, that's a big day for Stuart Haas Racing. It's it's very special to finish one, two, three. Uh, I tried to get to your outside when we were on the track, maybe get a picture with 14, 4, and 41 on the, the front straightaway to, to symbolize such a special day here in Michigan and to, to win, you know, at Stuart Haas for Ford, 1, 2, 3, it's a huge day in Detroit. All right, so a big day from Stuart Haas. Uh, that is the picture right there that Kurt was referencing. Uh, DJ, you think about this accomplishment and what we've seen so far this season. We are almost at the halfway part. Kevin Harvick has dominated. What are we to take from this finish, which means a lot to the organization, and the dominance that we have seen from this organization so far? Well, unlike what Kyle Busch said in his interview, which we may see or hear later, I don't know, but he said it wasn't about Stuart Haas racing. It was about Ford. Certainly, they're driving forwards, but this was about Stuart Haas Racing. They have been there. They put themselves in position. Uh, this organization has done their work, and they get, they're giving their drivers uh, cars that they can race hard with every single week. And when you get to a racetrack, uh, these mile and a half and two miles in particular, uh, uh, and you have Doug Yates horsepower, uh, and you have good handling race cars, then you're going to be hard to beat. But I think it was a huge day, and, and I know that, that everybody uh, within this organization is really smiling, that they're giving their drivers cars that they can really 
race hard. And as a driver, uh, that's what you want every single week is that opportunity. Yeah, DJ, and to play off that, you know, we haven't seen Team Penske go out there and dominate like we've seen Stuart Haas Racing do it. So if it's just a Ford thing, then where are the other winners that aren't Stuart Haas Racing? So obviously this team is on top of their game right now. You're just seeing the culmination of a lot of work over the offseason. We saw when they switched to Ford, it was a bit of a slow transition, but this team has worked really hard in their processes behind the scenes, things they're doing in the race shop, how they're working on these race cars, how they're bringing them to the racetrack and all of that is now coming to fruition where we're seeing them have just such dominant days and obviously get a one two three this past weekend the driver that we we're talking about all week was kyle larson who was looking for that four straight win at michigan who seemed like he was going to be able to get it done and then ran into some trouble and this was him on twitter after the race pissed away what i felt like was the fastest car today stupid mistake on my end bummer that probably feels terrible to be in kyle larson's position but ownership of the fact that he lost it on lap 86. Yeah, I'd just like to, you know, recount a little bit of last week's history. There was only one person on the show on Thursday, I believe, that said Kyle Larson wasn't going to get four in a row. Was and it me? Uh, I think it might have been, oh, might have been you or me, you. one of the two. It was you. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know what? It was an interesting weekend for the 42 car overall. I think you saw on Friday, they just did not have the pace. He felt like the car was way too tight. He talked a little bit about how at times he was having to put more wheel in the car and just could not find the balance they wanted in that 42 car. And then come Saturday practice, they had a little bit more speed no doubt about that and it started to look a little more positive for them and then he was able to drive straight to the field at the start of the race and definitely had one of the fastest cars they definitely found what they needed in that 42 car and then unfortunately he spins it off of turn four and, and that was an odd spin to me because I don't know what you saw DJ but for my position you know I thought maybe he had a tire go down or something went wrong there because the way that car just looped around so quickly off of turn four, a place where you're easily back full throttle on the gas, I just felt like that was an awkward spin and maybe not entirely Kyle Larson's fault. Yeah, it was kind of awkward, especially for someone that drives a, a car right on the edge of, of being a little too loose all the time. And I think that's where he's finding more speed. He's able to drive the car like that more often than, than other drivers are, are able to. But I, one angle that I saw yesterday during the race as they showed replays was it looked like this started as he got into turn three. The car got a little bit loose on the entry, and as he chased it up the racetrack then, it looked like that his right rear just got out to where uh, it wasn't in any good rubber anymore, and it got into that gray area, and that's when it looked like it just looped around all of a sudden. Maybe he had to put a little bit more wheel right then. Things we don't expect from Kyle Larson, especially at a place that, that he won three straight. But these things are going to happen, especially when you drive the car as hard as Kyle Larson does and has to every single lap of the race. But unfortunate because he certainly could have uh, been someone up there in the mix, uh, driving from, I believe, 26th place start uh, all the way up into uh, the, the top five, and showed that he once again had a car that he was was willing to take and, and maybe make a difference in the race. We should also mention Paul Menard making something happen. First top five for Wood Brothers. That was a big day. And, you know, a lot of it was kind of using some alternate strategy there from his crew chief, Greg Irwin. And, you know, we saw him get up there with no tires and was able to actually run in the top five for a long time on older tires. So you started to see that this 21 car had a lot of speed. And I, I believe it was a tweet from their team that showed that when they were running back in 20th position, they were running basically a second slower than when they got up to the front. So clean air really helped that 21 car. They had the speed and able to capitalize on that track position to get that tire 
top five finish, and it was just a great run overall for the 21 Wood Brothers team. I mean, they, you know, they maybe put him in position, track position-wise, with some strategy, but Paul Menard did a great job once he got up front. Well, based on what we have been talking about the last couple minutes with Stuart Haas and the dominance that Kevin Harvick shown this year, it basically meant that Clint Boyer had to beat the best driver in the game at this point in time in order to get that win. So when we come back... More on this, more on how Boyer got ahead of Kevin Harvick. Our analysts have some thoughts. It was just in time, and he managed to get it done. We'll be right back. Here comes Boyer flying around the outside. Russell Simpson, tire specialist for the 14 car. Just a great day today. Clint did a really good job on that last restart. Harvick down low. Outside boy inches apart and give the advantage to Cliff Boyer. Can't ask for anything more. Boga with an awesome pick call for two tires. They've called it Clint Boyer and Mother Nature <laughs> in Michigan. So that pit call from Mike Bugaravich, the crew chief for Clint Boyer, is going to take them to victory lane. Just a great day for Haas and Ford and everybody here at Stuart Haas. Everything but blue skies Sunday afternoon at Michigan, but Russell Simpson and the 14 team were happy all the same. They enjoyed their second trip to victory lane this season. They got Clint Boyer in the lead with that two-tire stop, but he still had to overcome his teammate Kevin Harvick on the final restart. We raced pretty hard. You know, I got I got fairly loose up, up underneath him. Um, you know, the, there in three and four when we went down there on the back stretch and, and I drove it in there, he drove it in there and, and slid the back and, and he was able to, you know, get me sliding enough to where he was able to clear me. So, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it would have been, I, don't, I wouldn't have raced anybody any different. I wanted two more laps. Yeah, I just cleared Kyle and I yeah. saw you two side by side. I'm like, ooh, it's, it's like a fishing reel. <laughs> I was hoping I can get up in there. You kind of said that you weren't going to beat the four car. So do you feel like you stole one today or? Well, I beat him. <laughs> Make no mistake. I beat him. He's the, the guy right now. He's him and Kyle Busch are the two that are uh, that are shining the most. And, and to be able to, you know, start at a deficit, try to run that track bar up as far as it would go, because you know you're going to be tied on two tires to try to hold on to that thing for as long as you can, praying for the rain um, is what it took, you know. But it took that gutsy call from Mike to be able to put me in that situation and then uh, to try to hold that grizzly bear off because, man, he was coming quick. All right, so Parker Boyer didn't have anything handed to him over the weekend. Let's break down that final restart a little bit further. What'd you see? No, he did not. And he, this, there's a lot more to this restart than meets the eye. So we're going to dive in here a little bit in depth here on the touchscreen. So we're going to get going. And we're actually going to see that he doesn't get the best restart. The four car of Kevin Harvick actually beats him to the line, which is you're allowed to do on a restart. But then it gets very interesting down into turn one because there's a point here where he actually is behind the four car and it's right now. If we zoom in on that, you're going to see that the 14 is actually behind the four car there. And there, the four is clear. And DJ, I want your opinion on this because that's one of those quick, quick clear situations, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, Parker, I will caution everyone to understand that this is a camera angle. If this were going, if this camera were straight across from the infield to where exactly to the middle of turns one and two, we would see that. Kevin Harvick actually probably isn't clear of Clint Boyer at all, but you can see a little separation right here. But as a race driver, you're going by feel and understanding 
that you don't feel like that you've gotten enough separation to be pulling up and understanding also that that outside car is going to have more of a run on the exit of the corner and could have probably created more of a situation than what Harvick was willing to take a gamble with at that point in time. Exactly. Well said. If we get going again here, you're going to see that four car come with a head of steam or the 14 on the outside. He's going to get beside the four. And from here, it's about a race down to turn three. Who's braver off into three? Well, the four car side drafts the 14 pretty well, and he gets a huge run. He lunges it off into three. But right there, the 14, he gets back to the right rear quarter panel of the four car. And from here, it is all about trying to take the air away from that four car. Make him loose. You heard Kevin talk about it. I was really loose off of turn three and four. Well, you're going to see that right here if we get going again. I'm gonna get it. We're gonna we're gonna get it to go here soon. Let's try my finger. There we go. And now you're gonna see he's gonna actually get close to the four, and he gets him a little bit loose, and that is how he's gonna be able to take that momentum, keep the lead off down in the front stretch, and then eventually go on to win the race. So that restart was not about what just happened at the beginning, but it was about the entire lap. So for another view, we're gonna go on board with Kevin and actually get to hear his spotter talk to him through that entire lap and what he actually experienced. Here we go. So we're coming to the green here on board the four car. Now they're going through the gears. You see they're pretty even at this point, but as they go off the one, listen to his spotter, Tim Fiedewald, what he tells him. Clear, clear, come back, outside, clear, outside, 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 outside. He thought he was clear, not clear at all. He knew, Kevin knew better than that. He was not clear at that point. And there you heard it again, not clear. He thought it was clear at points, but he just was not clear. And DJ, that's the part I think that was so interesting here, was that you felt like maybe he had points that he was clear, but Kevin knew he was smarter than that. He's more of a, a veteran racer to know that that 14 car had too much ahead of steam to be able to just move up in front of him. If he did, he'd probably end up in a wreck. Yeah, Tim Fita was an excellent race car driver, and, and he's an outstanding spotter for Kevin Harvick. But I think right there, he was almost trying to put his driver, Kevin Harvick, in a situation of taking advantage, maybe, of a teammate in that situation. Clint Boyer wasn't going to run up and, and wreck Kevin Harvick if Harvick happens to slide up there. And I think Tim Vila may have thought that they could just steal it right then uh, at that point in time by sliding up and, and making Clint Boyer back out of the gas. But as a driver, you have to feel like that you really know for 100%, especially when you have a teammate there, that you're not going to put all of this uh, a day's work in that type of situation. Plus, Kevin Harvick's won five times. It's not worth tearing up a couple of race cars if, indeed, you haven't uh, cleared him enough to, to get yourself in that situation. So the right move by everyone uh, in trying to make this happen. Well said. And, Carolyn, that's the thing. It just comes down to a game of inches sometimes on these restarts where you can get that position and go on to win or find yourself running second like Kevin did. Absolutely, and an interesting theory by DJ as well. When we come back, we are going to hit on Saturday. Elliot Sadler, once again, a title contender in the Xfinity Series, but things went south for Sadler and Alex Bowman at Michigan. So who was right in this situation? Our analysts taking sides when NASCAR America comes back. Welcome back, everybody. This weekend's rain also impacting Saturday's Xfinity race at Michigan. Lap 73 here. And this is Bowman and Sadler. Alex Bowman, Elliot Sadler making contact, caused Sadler to hit the wall. 
DJ, this was the story of Saturday. Yeah, it really was. And really, it's an uncharacteristic mistake on Elliott Sadler's part. You know, when you're in this type of racing, like we see at Daytona and Talladega, but you're doing it in Michigan, you, you drive by Phil Watt. I don't know if he was cleared or not. I haven't spoken with Elliott about it. But this was what surprised me a little bit, that, that Elliott got so upset. But things happen differently in the car, or they seem to be different than, than what it is for us to watch it on TV. So we saw Elliott get a little bit upset there. But, uh, you know, he was just trying to take advantage there on the front straightaway, maybe slide in a hole uh, as cars were going by him on the outside. So both of those cars picks up some damage, uh, Parker. And then on the final restart, Austin Dillon in the three battling his RCR teammate and Xfinity regular Daniel Hemrick for the lead. Yeah, and both of them trying to break a 56-race winless streak for RCR. But Austin Dillon's getting a big push from Cole Custer. And Ryan Reed behind Daniel Hemrick there is doing the best that he can on the bottom. He's actually going to lay into the rear bumper of Daniel Hemrick here coming off turn two and down the backstretch. But it wouldn't be enough to beat that three car. The caution comes out in the middle of turn three and four, and Austin Dillon would break that winless streak for RCR going to victory lane. A little bit of luck from uh, Mother Nature there on their yeah, side. Yeah, it seemed like Mother Nature provided a little yeah. bit of luck to everybody all around this weekend. And a big win for Nick Harrison there. He's, uh, he's had a bit of a tumultuous time the last couple years not being able to get back to victory lane, so I know it's a big one for him. Yeah, great celebration there from the whole team, and then you see the well-deserved burnouts as well on Saturday in the Xfinity Series. Daniel Hemrick came so close to getting his first career win, but it wasn't to be this time around. He still does have a healthy fifth in the Xfinity Series playoff standings. And as for the aero package that was used on Saturday, there was a lot of talk about it. And NASCAR's executive vice president, Steve O'Donnell, offered some feedback today on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio's Morning Drive. I think we, we definitely saw some good things. Um, you know, the eyeball test, you, you always want to continue to improve. and. And I think in talking to some of the drivers and race teams, um, you know, looking at the ability as you head into, especially turn three, you know, if you were in second to, to pull out to be able to keep that momentum and complete the pass, I think is something we want to continue to look at. You know, and, and you, you have a little time, you know, post-race on the next day to digest, you know, some of the, the metrics, which, you know, everything was really double where we've been in the past in terms of lead changes and, and the number of green flag passes during the race throughout the field. So really good indicators there. But again, you know, cautiously optimistic in terms of looking at this. This is not something we're looking at, you know, for every race. I, I see some of our, our uh, current drivers make assumptions when they don't have all the facts. Um, and it's just something we're looking at for, for a few tracks. If we can pull it off and, and improve on something, we will. Um, but also very happy with the racing we have today. So the question at the root of all of this is, Parker, did we see a better race? I believe so. I believe that you saw closer racing. You saw racing that we kind of predicted, which is that you would have to find yourself uh, drafting. You know, we saw the outside lane really prevail at times. It was really a, 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 a situation where a lot of times you had to find yourself just in that lane drafting other cars. And to make a move, you had to have help. And so it wasn't dissimilar than what we see at a super speedway, which is, I think was the intention a little bit. But you, what you did have a, a situation where you did have a predominant line. You had to be in that outside lane a, a lot of times to be making speed. So I don't think anyone was caught off guard or thought like we saw something we didn't expect to see. I, I understand his comments and saying, you know, maybe we can continue to work to, to not give the lead car as much an advantage so that they're able to get by them easier. But you're going to run into a point eventually where you're going to have a pass every lap if you go that far, you know, and, and I don't know that's exactly what we want to see. You know, there, there's a fine line here between the ability for us as race car drivers and teams to control our own destiny 
and put on a good show. And I believe what we have there was a, a good example of that. I think it was a good show where the drivers controlled their own destiny. The teams could work on their cars. But if we go much further, we continue down this path too far, we could find ourselves in more of a lottery sort of racing. DJ, what'd you yeah. think? Yeah, a lot of that. I agree with you there, Parker. And, and I think the one thing that we need to take away is that uh, Steve O'Donnell said, this isn't for everywhere. Uh, certain racetracks, let's try to make the racing better. Let's try to make it what this sport was built on, whether it was the Xfinity Series or the Cup Series. But this sport wasn't built about 220 miles an hour into turn one. Yeah, that's a great number for the Cup cars. But we saw these guys be able to make it three wide, which we didn't see in the cup cars uh, because they were at much slower speeds and able to handle uh, not having the rubber up in that third groove. So uh, there's a lot to be said for what they have there, and I think it works well at certain racetracks in the Xfinity Series for sure. All right, let's get back to the incident between Elliot Sadler and Alex Bowman and look at what the drivers had to say. So here's Alex. I don't know if he cleared himself or if he wasn't clear, drove like a third of the way down the straightaway before he decided to pull up, and at that point, what am I supposed to do? He went on to say, I don't know why he drove down into the corner of his under caution. That was pretty dumb. I don't know. He gets pretty fired up. I like Elliot, but my opinion, that was pretty dumb. I think some people felt the same way. And Elliot Sadler said, I had stuff smoking everywhere and a rub. I tried to get up and thought him being my teammate, he would cut me a break. But that wasn't the case. You had to be in the top lane to try to have a chance to win the race. So, DJ, I know that you have a relationship with Elliot Sadler here, but I have to ask you to be unbiased in this. What is your thought here? Why did Elliot Sadler make the decision to get into Alex Bowman and cause both cars damage? Well, I think Elliot made a mistake that he thought wasn't a mistake uh, to begin with. I think he thought he had a hole uh, to, to get in front of Bowman going down the front straightaway, that there was just enough room, that he had enough momentum. This was his one chance. You can see cars are lined up behind him. He's, gonna, he's not just going to lose one more spot. He's going to lose six, eight, maybe ten more spots. He thought that he could get a little bit of a break there, didn't get that break, and so he was upset with the situation. I'm sure once he saw this, that he realized that it wasn't a complete hole there. He made a mistake in doing that, and then, yeah, uncharacteristic for Elliot, he let his emotions get the best of him uh, in thinking that he had been wronged in that situation and, and went down and slammed the 23 car. And, and uh, uh, it's not like Elliot. He do, we don't see him do that. But race drivers have that side to them when you're in a competition and you feel like you were done wrong. If he could have waited to all of that, he would have seen a much different view, and I'm sure he has a different view today. I have plenty of times where I've jumped out of a race car and I've been convinced something happened the way it did. And then I go back to watch the video and I think, you know, I should have kept my mouth shut because that was not exactly how it went down. So <laughs> that's why we always try as drivers to find that replay, especially if we're, you know, if we're getting interviewed to say like, what, what happened? Wait, wait, oh, oh, you know what? I'm not going to say what I initially thought happened because, because you just see it differently. You're in the car. There's a lot going on. You're trying to make a move. But you know what? I think what Elliot was trying to do and what he was talking about there was he was trying to get in the top lane, right? He was trying to quickly get in the top lane. Well, earlier in the race, we saw this out of Kyle Busch. And watch this. Coming off turn two, he is going to actually slot into a gap I didn't think was there. And that's exactly what Elliott was trying to do. He just got it wrong. He mistimed it, whereas Kyle Busch got it right there. And I don't know what, how Kyle did that. That was incredible. I'm not sure there's many other drivers that could have pulled off what he just did there. But that's what Elliott Sadler was trying to do. He was trying to get in line and do it quickly. And it just was mistimed. And then from that point on, I think he felt like maybe he was wronged for some reason because Alex Bowman was maybe a teammate that could have let him in. But when you look at the video, you can clearly see he was Alex Bowman had too much of a head of steam, was far too far beside him to be able to make that move and make it work.
Yeah, and I think something that's a little different between the two situations there, we saw Kyle Busch make his move on the exit of the corner where he has momentum and the car that he is sliding in front of doesn't have someone pushing him there. So it was a great move by Kyle Busch, and it was perfect. He did everything well, just as you pointed out there, Parker, where Elliott tried to make something happen down the straightaway. He's already losing momentum. His RPMs are going the wrong way being in this situation because he's headed down the straightaway. The other cars are lined up, and their RPMs are going up. So it's just a much more difficult situation because your car is going slower and you're trying to slide in that. So just unfortunate uh, in this situation. Do you have a problem with Sadler getting into Bowman a little bit in that caution? Um, you know, I think we see this a lot. So, I, I'm look, I think Elliot's probably disappointed about doing this after he's seen the video to think, you know what, I... My, you know, I let my temper get the best of me. This, I didn't have all the facts. I didn't fully see what happened there. I, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations where you, you are so convinced at times that you were wrong in a race car. And you, you got to remember, you are in that car alone. Although you've got communication with your team, you are alone in there. But for many hours at a time, it's hot. It's a very, uh, you know, very tough place to be. And therefore, when you find yourself feeling wronged, you're gonna. You might make. You know, is make that, some actions that, really, that are wrong. Is that Your really temper's gonna get the best. Is that really an excuse to it's retaliate excuse, when you're behind the wheel of a race would, car? No, I wouldn't say it's an excuse, but it's definitely not uncommon to see that happen because drivers can let their tempers get the best of them. All right, fair enough. Uh, we do have to say that cooler heads would prevail yes. between uh, both. The pair sent out some updates on social media. Elliot Sadler took responsibility. Bowman tweeted that he had a good talk with Sadler, and the two are moving on. So to DJ's point, uncharacteristic move by him, but it looks like some apologies have been exchanged. And we're moving on. Coming up next, we are going to have highlights of Saturday night's IndyCar race from Texas, where Scott Dixon put himself in exclusive company. And after a night of celebration, how is Clint Boyer feeling today? We're going to find out in our social pit stop. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Texas Motor Speedway, it was racing from daylight to dark in round nine of the Verizon IndyCar Series where the action under the lights was hot between Canada's Robert Wickens and Ed Carpenter coming together in a pretty fiery exchange. And then the Indy 500 winner, Will Power and Zach Clayman DeMello, the Canadian rookie, coming together. Will Power was judged to be in the wrong, but somebody who couldn't do anything wrong was winner Scott Dixon, 43rd career win, third on the all-time win list. And we'll see him again in two weeks' time at Road America. Our Lee Diffie recapping Saturday's IndyCar race at Texas. And as he mentioned, Scott Dixon is now third on IndyCar's all-time wins list after moving past Michael Andretti. The four-time series champion only trails A.J. Foyt and Michael's father, Mario, at this point in time. And now it is time for our social pit stop of the day. Take a listen. Good job, Clint. My dad's going to win next time. <laughs> that was Kyle Larson's son, Owen, talking a little trash. On a shot right there. I wonder if that's a driver in the making. Don't worry, though. Cash Boyer had his father's back. Here was the response. <laughs> I don't know, DJ. Does the apple far fall far from the tree. I feel like I'm hearing Clint Boyer in Cash <laughs> Boyer right there. 
Yeah, if we ever wanted to know what Clint was like whenever he was Cash's age, then we know. Right there it is. But that, that's great. I love this going on. I think on. he still uh, is Cash's like a good age. Friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, he might have acted a, like a bit of a child last night. Dreamed we won Michigan reality. Woke up with a massive hangover on a week-long vacation with kids screaming, phone dead, wife pissed, brother outside puking, and can't find my flip-flops. <laughs> Yep, we must have won. Hangover 5 coming to a theater near you, Clint Boyer edition. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, boy. Uh, coming up next, if you thought that that was funny, wait till you listen to yesterday's best sound bites from Clint Boyer. We're going to check in on our NASCAR Fantasy Live as well to see who is one race away from ultimate bragging rights. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. So Clint Boyer's win this weekend, a bit of a long shot. According to the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook, he was a 25 to 1 underdog to win at Michigan. Kevin Harvick, odds on favorite at 5 to 2. Everybody expected that he might do that. Everybody put him in our fantasy league. It is NASCAR Fantasy Live League, NBC Sports. Money's not on the line. Bragging rights are. So this is the overall standings top five. You may notice uh, none of the people that work no, with not. us are in it. But these people are doing extremely well. The NBC broadcasting team that has been a part of this league for the last couple months. Here's our top five. So we've got Dustin, who's been strong from the get-go. Rick yep. Allen talked a ton of trash. He is backing it up, unfortunately. Really Junior's unfortunate. in there. We expect that from the rookie. Marty Snyder making a strong showing. And Lee Diffie is a man of many trades. I'm actually the biggest Dustin Long fan around because if Rick Allen wins this, I have to eat a sock. So is that true? An it's a bit of a sock? true bet that we had on the side. Yes, you are so going to eat a I, sock. I am a huge Dustin Long fan at the moment. Or Dale Earnhardt Jr. But I was already a fan of his. I can't. I cannot even be go into what you just said. Let's go to a best of moments from the weekend featuring another man that probably would eat a sock for no reason at all. Clint Boyer, take a listen. We are now joined in the media center by our race-winning driver, Clint Boyer. Can you believe it? Say no. that again. The One more race time. race-winning driver, Clint ah. Boyer. Feel like you stole one today or? Oh, I beat him. <laughs> Make no mistake, I beat him. Wait a minute, you said, I don't know what he said. He, well, no, he, he said he saw the same front. That's the thing, else. he'll ask you, you know, your opinion in there. You're like, I, 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 don't, I don't have radar. Radar ain't on my dash. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. He took two tires and won that race for us, and I was super pumped for him. Lucky <laughs> 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 We, uh, we're going to drink a little bit tonight, by the way. I drink more of Kevin Harvick's sponsors than I'm pretty sure he does. It's a hell of a, of a sponsor. There's nothing better. I have no idea what where we went with this, but uh, there's nothing better than having a sponsor like that in Victory Lane to be able to celebrate. That is awesome. Congrats on your win. <laughs> I'm leaving! <laughs> DJ, I only know you as our teddy bear of a Hall of Famer analyst. You wouldn't know anything about celebrating that hard, would you, after a, a notable win in your career? Let me think about it. Yeah, my first one there at Michigan. Yeah, stayed up with my neighbor all night long once I got back home, and we watched the sun come up and may have had a few of those products that Boyer was talking about there. So yeah. as I'm talking about that, though, I have to say happy 87th birthday to my mom today. I was just Aww. I left her house right before I came down here, but she's 87 years young today. 
That is such a nice way to end the show. That is a nice way. Yeah. Um, a little nicer than uh, Clint calling out that he drinks a couple more of those than Kevin does. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we're gonna uh, yeah. we're gonna get you a couple socks in here so you can practice. Don't losing bring your that up. You have been absolutely Go terrible. Go Justin Long. You have no. been terrible at fantasy. You can get it. All right, that's gonna do it today for NASCAR America. We're back again tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget, it is a scandal day. That's a huge show. There's gonna be plenty of interesting chatter on the radios from the past weekend. We'll see you again tomorrow. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.